Finland Saga is another series I read through my library. They let me <laughs> they let me keep, keep renewing the books for like six months. Hell yes, that's was, the one where you found oh, out boy. how <laughs> long you could read things. It was very useful considering it was six omnibus volumes, so I really needed six months to read like 12 volumes of Vikings. <laughs> back to Monging Your Ears. My name is Corey. That song that you just heard was The Slants, Endlessly Falling. Uh, we have just gotten back from Otakon. Helen and April are with me. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's been a while since the last episode. We were all at Otakon. Uh, briefly, April, did you enjoy your experience at Otakon? Yeah, I haven't been to uh, D.C. in about 20 years, and it uh, it was a fun experience, especially uh, being there for the first one in D.C., so definitely, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, good. Um, well, Helen and Chris and I talked about our Otakon experience on the Taiku podcast, which I will link to in the show notes. But today, we are here to talk about uh, first Wandering Sun and then Vinland Saga. Uh, unfortunately, Wandering Sun is uh, not completed in English, but it is completed in Japanese, uh, which I'm sure we will get to. Um, but Helen, would you like to break down the general plot of Wandering Sun? Sure. Wandering Sun is by Shimura Takako, who's written a couple of LGBT-friendly series. And this one, I think, is her most LGBT-friendly of them, since it follows two gender-questioning kids, um, Nitori and Tatsukuki. Um, Taka- Takasuki. Takatsuki. Anyway, um, from elementary school through to the end of high school, the English versions of the manga put out by Fantagraphics cover about half of that, so it ends when they're in middle school, sadly. Uh, and you follow the two of them. Nitori is figuring out that he doesn't really feel like a he. He feels more like a she. So if we're going to be referring to Nitori as a she in this volume, well, this podcast, that is. And Takatsuki is not quite sure they're a she. They're feeling a little bit more like a he. And so the two of them meet. They meet some adults who are also LGBT. They have some classmates, some who are friendly, some who are not very friendly towards these things. And it's a very sweet story, but it's one that constantly has you on pins and needles since you're thinking, oh, my dear sweet children, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. But something bad's probably going to happen to you. Something bad constantly happens to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so as you said, they do meet another uh, another trans character. Her name is Yuki. Um, her, uh, she was born with the name Hiro Yuki and then changed shape to just Yuki when she transitioned. Um, but then they also meet up with another friend in junior high who is also questioning, uh, their name is Makoto, and then there's this girl in school that likes to just dress up in the boys' uniform, her name is Shizuru, uh, and they have a complicated group of friends, like Jesus. And as a quick note there, real world note, um, we mentioned Yuki's old name, her, um, her birth name, but typically it's actually pretty rude to ask a trans person, so what was your birth name? 
it's sometimes referred to as dead naming. So just if you meet someone who's trans, just accept them at face value and just go with the name they tell you. Okay, yeah. that's our PSA. <laughs> and one thing I do really like about Wandering Sun is that we do have so many characters, some who seem to be questioning their gender, some who seem to be questioning their sexuality, and some who are just like, yeah, I just like dressing up in boys or girls clothes. That's just it. I like that it does show that variety since that is the human experience variety. Yep. And, you know, further complicating their questioning of their gender identities is they're just going into puberty. So there Mm -hmm. are these uh, solid signs that say you are biologically this gender, even though they don't feel comfortable being that gender. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, April, what do you you think of Wandering Sign? First impressions? Good? Bad? Um, So I think the... One of the first impressions that I have is that it, it sort of I like how it focuses on those small moments that maybe somebody that isn't trans would take for granted. Um, so some of the particular scenes where they struggle with clothes or, or where something as simple as a haircut um makes a difference. Um, I only have the first volume here, and I think maybe I got this volume uh, when it first came out. Um, for me, Wandering Sun is a little slow, at least in the beginning. Like, it's very slice of life to me, but it feels also very, very slow. Um, it does have that sort of pins and needles feeling to it, but at least initially, I, I think that it's a little slow. You have to really kind of get into the characters. I kind of imagine it would take a couple of volumes to really get into who they are. But the, the small moments are nice. Yeah, I agree with that. Since I first came to Wandering Sun through the anime, and the anime actually starts a couple volumes in. It starts when the characters are entering middle school. The director just decided to make that choice. And so I came in to the anime. I really liked it. And then I started reading the manga later, since it was only published in the U.S. later. And yeah, I didn't really like the first volume very much. And it took until the end of the second volume for it to really click with me, which felt strange. I already knew these characters. I already knew their story, and I was invested. But I still just... It felt like the story took a little bit of time to find its footing. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Ellen. I also found this through the anime, uh, which I really liked. Um, and then the manga started to be published by Panagraphics, and I picked those up immediately. And by the way, these are really nice books. These are hardcovers. Mm-hmm. The paper is mm-hmm. much nicer than Vinland Sagas, uh, which feels a little cheap sometimes. <laughs> um, but like the manga starts with... Uh, all the six main characters uh, being introduced, rather than just uh, Nikari, Takatsuki, and uh, Saori, who are the three main characters in those first couple of volumes, and that the third first couple of volumes just deals with like how uh, Takatsuki and Saori are like always butting heads, and how Nikari kind of becomes this. Uh, the old man, no, uh, no intention of calling him a man or a woman, or calling them a man or a woman, but in the turn of phrase, the old man. But once you introduce, like, everybody else, it starts to get uh, a little more interesting and a little more dramatic. Yeah, and I seem to recall that Yuki appears pretty early on in the story, I think the first or second volume, and they come off as a little bit predatory, a little bit at first, a little bit of older woman is interested in younger man, except... The younger person here, in this case, is, like, in elementary school, so that was definitely awkward at first. Yeah, there were a couple of jokes about that, too. Like, uh, their boyfriend said 
several times. Oh, you're always going after those younger guys. What's up with that? Guys, it's not cool when the other character's under the age of consent. It's just not. It's not cool, especially <laughs> when they're in elementary school. So, so not cool. But it does turn out that uh, Yuki has no ill will toward um, toward Takatsuki, who is the one that uh, they run into. Yuki just finds Takatsuki interesting looking and attractive looking, but not like in a I want to have sex with you way, and just in a you are a nice looking person way. And I do like Yuki's character. I think it is really good that they have a variety of character ages in here as well, to a small extent, by showing Yuki as an adult who is able to live as a woman in many respects. It's kind of sad at one point in the story they have to dress up as a man. Um, I think this in Nishiri's school, I think that was the context for it, and that was a little sad. But I kind of think there was another scene later on where they came back, but they were dressed as a woman that time, and that made me happy that they were given that freedom within the story and sort of signaling to people in the real world that, yes, you can live a happy life as you feel like you truly are. Mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things, too, at least in the first volume, um, is how some of the characters' parents kind of give them room, a little bit of room. I guess a lot of it was related to, like, haircuts and such. But uh, the parents uh, that I saw, at least in the first volume, seem a, a little more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They allow a little more space than maybe um, I've seen in real life for their kids to kind of try a couple of different things within a certain within a certain boundary. Um, I thought that that was interesting because that's not something that I've always seen. So it was kind of nice uh, to see a little bit of that, at least in the first volume. Obviously, I don't know how that pans out across the rest of the series, but I, it just jumped out to me here in this first volume. Yeah, I think part of that's because the first volume starts where the kids are so young in elementary school, and sometimes parents will give their kids more mm-hmm. leeway than to experiment, thinking, oh, it's a phase. And it's when it turns out later to not be a phase that parents can sometimes get alarmed. Mm-hmm. And one thing that pops up later, um, especially in the anime, since the anime goes a bit farther than the Fantagraphics volumes ended up going, is that it's seen as okay for um, Takasuki or um, some of their other friends for them to be assigned females birth and showing up to school in a boy's uniform, people are just going, ooh, that's so cool. But when Nutri shows up in a girl's uniform, his parents are called, it's a very serious manner, and everyone treats it very differently. And the characters comment on that as such, that there's, in some ways, girls are given a little more flexibility, since we can be either feminine or tomboyish and still be within the range of normalcy, I guess. The guys, in some ways, are much more limited into what masculinity can be. And so that gives poor Nutri a lot less freedom to try and break out into the world. They comment on that even a little bit. Even within the, even within the first volume, they comment on that, uh, that girls tend to have a little more room as far as that goes. That's, that's even come up just in this first one. I was surprised that that came up that early. Yeah, and it even goes with, like, what Nikiri's sister is always saying, being like, oh, you like dressing as a girl, like, so disgusting. And, like, that's constantly what he's being faced with throughout uh, his mm-hmm. home life. Whereas when he goes to hang out with Saori, she always encourages this behavior, maybe to a detriment. And then uh, when she's, or when uh, Nikiri is hanging out with Takatsuki, it's always just they're both comfortable in who they want to be, whoever that is. 
And Nitori's sister, who's only a little bit older than him, she's a lot of an ass in a lot of cases. <laughs> we see her portrayed very honestly. She wants a lot of attention. She wants, you know, to be praised and everything. And her parents don't seem to encourage it or anything like that. But she'll still just take the opportunity to be a jerk to Nitori pretty often. I think she mellows out later, but I don't remember for sure. I mean, a lot of this behavior in the early parts can be construed as uh, they're just siblings, they're in the same, uh, they live in the same room, and... I was not that much of an ass to my brother when we shared a room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you're a little bit more mature than Nikari's <laughs> sister. <laughs> Although putting it all together, this is one of the reasons why I like um, Shimura Takako's writings, or what I've seen of it. She also did um, Aohana, Sweet Blue Flowers, which is... Um, uh, the manga's had a sorry history being licensed in the U.S., but it is coming out again this fall, and the anime's been licensed for a while. And between that and Wandering Sun, I really like how she depicts people, since there is that pins and needles feeling, you know, oh, how are these characters going to survive, these poor little LGBT babies in a big, wide, less forgiving world? But it never feels quite unrealistic. It feels like the characters aren't antagonistic for the sake of being antagonistic. They are simply confused very confused. Um, but that's it. I feel like she handles characterization very nicely. Yeah, they're clearly working working through these things uh, very slowly. Um, I mean, partially because they don't actually have to face it in their bodies quite yet uh, until, like, the second or third volume. Um, but also, like, people, characters like Yuki really help since they have someone to look up to who is also gone through all of these same things. And Yuki even has, you know, uh, I think it must be a boyfriend, probably not a husband. But regardless, she has a significant other who is very supportive of her and all that. So again, Yuki's a really good example for the kids to see that things will get better, which I remember was the name of a video series back when I was in high school and a lot of LGBT youth um, saying, yeah, things are going to get better. They might be bad now, but you will have better things happen to you in life. I'm a little sad. There's not a ton we can talk about since the anime only went so far, went through, um, I think, the kids' first year of middle school or so. And the anime does cover them till the end of high school, but it's just not licensed in the U.S. We can't really talk about it. I'm just really mad at Fantagraphics for saying, oh, it didn't sell well enough and stopping it, since I'm of the belief that if you're going to be a large publisher, you should have like some leeway. Like You should think, oh, even if one series doesn't succeed so well, will have hits that can help carry it over. And I just, this should have been big in the U.S. This should have been really big in some of the circles, you know, that you had this thoughtful look at gender-questioning kids at a young age, but it wasn't. I barely ever heard this talked about outside of manga circles, so I'm pretty grouchy at the U.S. comic scene in general for this. Um, it's a bit of a shame, too, because it looks like, like, like you mentioned earlier, towards the beginning, um, that a lot of, like, care went into these volumes. They're really big. Um, they're hardcover and all of that. Uh, and then there are, like, the translation notes in the back from Thorne. So it looks like a lot of thought went into this. So it's kind of a shame um, that it didn't finish this run here. I don't ha know how much longer it had, but it is kind of a shame because there are really uh, volumes this nice uh, for a subject like this very often. So it's kind of a shame that it's, it never did get finished. Yeah, uh, so we got eight volumes. The last one was published in June of 2015, 
And there are a total of 15. So we even got halfway through. 15 is not very long for a manga series. Yep. Although I do wonder if the larger yeah. trim size and nicer made it a little harder to produce, since these are 1999 instead of the yeah. usual yeah. 9, 10, yeah. manga. I mean, even if they, like, transition, this would really annoy me in terms of, like, putting it on the shelf, but if they transition yeah. these to soft cover and then release the rest of it, I would be all right with it, because then I would at least be able to read it at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. And then the volume they left on is what we alluded to a little bit before, is when uh, Nitori shows up in the uh, girls' school uniform, and he's told to go the go to the teacher's office and was sent home. And that is yeah. the last of it. <laughs> yeah, if anybody does read the manga, I recommend you go check out the anime, since the anime does resolve that particular plot, at least, so you won't be left on a perpetual cliffhanger. Yeah. But after that... I hope people will still go check out this series, both in manga and anime form. I've had decent luck, actually, with my libraries having um, the manga series in stock, which is great, since libraries are a really great place to go get manga for free. Guys, they're just really great about that. Well, uh, any closing thoughts on Wandering Sun? There should be more of it, but there's not. <laughs> you know, I wonder if Takako is just kind of cursed in the U.S. since, like, Sweet Blue Flowers is on, like, its third publisher... And, like, has only ever gotten, like, one volume out, and this one's not finished? I don't know. Maybe there's something larger at hand here, guys. <laughs> Gosh. Well, we'll find that out for the next episode. <laughs> um, let's take a short break, and then we'll be back to talk about Vinland Saga. back. We're here to talk about Vinland Saga. Uh, who wants to break down Vinland Saga? You go this time. Okay. Uh, well, Vinland Saga is a manga by Makoto Yukimura, who I once spelled his name wrong on a panel. For folks of, who are sci-fi fans. Although, hot take, Planet Chase wasn't very good. What? Well, we'll get to that later, maybe. <laughs> anyway, oh, this... I don't know if I agree with that at all. <laughs> uh, this is a manga about Vikings. Uh, it is centered around this character named Thorfinn, who has, uh, I believe, it opens and he's already lost his father, who is Thor's, and then it flashbacks to what actually happened. Um, and this is a this is a manga where we are constantly centered around war and fighting and uh, dying on the field of battle, so you can raise to the heavens of Valhalla. Um, but what I think Yukimura is trying to get through in these pages is more uh, there. There is a horror of war that um, could perhaps only be told through this Viking story, where they revel in war. Um, but Helen, April, what do you what do you all think of the manga? I mean, it's true that the series is really focused on war for the first few volumes. Uh, thinking in terms of the English omnibus volumes, that is. But it's always going war is bad, and then eventually, yeah, by like volume 
five or so, it completely switches to having Thorfinn out in this very rural country setting as as well. Um, it, it's a very violent manga, though. This is definitely one that's for teens and up, I think. Oh, yeah, it opens up with, like, people getting arrows through their eyeballs. Or, like, entire villages being slaughtered. You know, just Viking things. Mm, yep. Uh, April, what are your first impressions of Vinland Saga? I, so, I've I've read that first omnibus maybe three times, so the third time was today. Uh, that first volume, I think just the way it's set up, it's really, like, even rereading it now, it really feels like a sort of like a classic volume. I think having him in the beginning and sort of seeing where he is now and then sort of flashing back and... Um, seeing what happened to his father and then the the final panel or around the final panel of the first volume uh with his father it's just it 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 starts off uh really really strong and uh even though uh Kodansha US Kodansha anyway sort of made these um into omnibus volumes i think it was it serves the story well just because there's a lot um going on here and i can't imagine having these split over sing- single volumes, at least not right now. Um, but first impressions, I think, would be that it's gory. I mean, you can't really get around that. It's a gory series. And it seems like it just gets gorier, so... Uh, yep. It does get a little um, a little philosophical, sort of, once you introduce Canute. And uh, his, mm. his uh, quest to become the king of whatever. I'm, I've read this... A while ago, so I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on details. Uh, yes, along along the uh, the lines of this war thing is the revenge plot of Thorfinn trying to uh, take vengeance for on his father's killer, who is Askelig, and he's kind of a undermining undermining commander of a small Viking crew. Um, what we're trying to say is that he's an ass. Mm, yep. He's kind of an ass. <laughs> I really, yeah, I thought that's where you were going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has set up like this uh, relatively complex series of events that will lead to Thor's death. And then Thorfinn, of course, he's like, I think 10 or something when this happens. And he has sworn vengeance for like the last four years or however long. There's a lot going on in Vinland Saga. I can't, like, that this what happened to his father and the fact that he was there um, in that first volume, I can't get over like how traumatic that has to be for a child. So when he's sort of like uh, revenge driven in the later volumes, I'm like, well, it sort of makes sense. I mean, it's just got just like the way that he dies and all that. And I think just who his father was to him as a child and what he, what he thought war was as opposed to what it actually is it, all of that kind of came to a head and sort of that so, so the revenge plot of it makes sense yeah have either of you guys read berserk since i haven't but i feel like fans of berserk would probably really like this series because of its heavy focus on revenge and the just horrible things that happen to you when you devote your entire life towards a single-minded goal of violence uh, i have not read berserk april yeah, I definitely think uh, the two series go together. Sort of, these are the two series that I think of that, and probably uh, Blade of the Immortal is another one. But yeah, definitely, if people like Berserk, and I like Berserk, Berserk is uh, a, a very big favorite of mine, regardless of how slowly it comes out. Um, then you would, then you would probably uh, 
really um, enjoy Vinland Saga. That'd probably be the next series that I jumped to, even before Blade of the Immortal, um, if you're a fan of Berserk. It's really, that's the first series that I think of. So. Uh, yeah, I hear they're off the boat now, though. I don't know what that means. Like... <laughs> Sounds like it's You just gotta finish the thing first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does sound like it. Um, but yeah, I know that that this particular series, Vinland Saga, it is. I feel like it, I, like it was kind of on the fence there for a while, at least as far as its release schedule. I mean, I don't know how it's doing now, but I feel like at least when it was first coming out, it was like, uh, please buy this so that we can make some more. Please buy this. Please buy this. If you're not going to buy any more, we're not going to make any more. So I don't know if that sort of changed um, in the more recent years. I haven't touched Vinland Saga in a long time, but I know that, that was an, it felt like it was a thing, at least initially. Yeah, around before Omnibus 6 was coming out, Kodansha Comics was being very public in saying that this series would not continue in the U.S. unless it sold more volumes. And I know we're up to Omnibus 8 or so in the U.S. now, and I feel like we haven't mm-hmm. been hearing them saying that as much. So I'm assuming things are either going better or they've changed tactics. But yes, they were very vocal about that. Yeah, and it's kind of funny since at one yeah. point Vertical and Kodansha were both trying to license the series. And Vertical had put together a proposal of like these really nice end papers showing maps and stuff. And then Kodanjo was like, nah, we're going to do it ourselves. So I feel like Vertical's probably like, man, we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's nine omnibuses now. Uh, I think <laughs> they, I think Kodanjo had initially licensed the first 12 volumes. So it was literally a question of like, should we license more? Um, I mean, they obviously did, but it was kind of not great to hold this over their fans, being like, buy this, or we literally won't do anything else. But I also understand the business decision of we don't want to put this company under for the sake of this one manga. Yeah, same. I, I do understand where they're coming from, but that's one of my also complaints about the manga industry in general, is that it sometimes feels like the companies are putting a huge onus upon individual fans to support a series. And it, it's rather uncomfortable when you just have... <laughs> manga companies yelling at you, you guys need to buy this, and it's like, be quiet, I'm checking it out for my library. Yeah, it's like, well, I buy my volume, what do, I, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if there's nine omnibuses now, that means it's practically caught up with the Japanese release, too, since that would be 18 volumes, and Japan's up to 19 right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully those longer releases between volumes will let Kodansha catch their breath a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah, it's worth knowing for people that maybe don't have the books uh, that part of the push for them to sell to, I think, was that uh, this is another series similar to Wandering Sun that has the hardcover. So I think that was part of the push, too, in terms of please buy the books because we've made them hardcover and added some bonus things. There are some color pages in the front and in at least one of these, um, I think I could be wrong there, but they had a, they had a few bonus things in there, and then the hardcover. So I think that was part of the push too. I got the sense that uh, Kodansha themselves like really loved the series, so they put a lot of extra in, and they were like, "Oh God, please buy this book." So, yeah. and since then, I and think we, they've made some nicer books, like the Esmeralda's books. I think are a lot nicer. Uh, right, 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 right. But we always do appreciate when omnibuses are in hardcover because that means the spines don't just like immediately disintegrate as soon as you crack open the book. Uh, and I do right. remember some of the volumes had right. interviews and stuff in there, which were really cool to read. Yeah. Uh, but there is, like, a large, large amount of research that Yukimura does into these series. Like, after he finished Planetes, I think he 
dig, he took a trip to uh, Iceland or Greenland or maybe both um, to just research about Vikings because he knew he wanted to write this Viking manga. I don't know if he knew the angle that he was taking at the time yet, but the uh, the fruits of his labor are very clear in this manga because uh, well, I guess I'm not very familiar with Viking era, but this feels like it could be something out of history. I always think it's really cute when mangaka just throw themselves into research like that. Mm-hmm. Like I was reading the latest Ancient Magus Bride volume, and the mangaka there was talking about, I spent my overnight, I went overnight to this hotel that's all British themed, so kind of like a college and stuff like that. <laughs> and so I just always think it's really cute when the authors are just so passionate about even just the research that will help them make their story. And it really does show here. I feel like I'm not as big a fan of Vinland Saga as you two are. It was just, it was a lot of gore to slog through early on. Yeah, but you can tell that Yukimura is definitely moving towards a very definite conclusion. He's really trying to, he made all those scenes of war necessary early on to really encapsulate the themes he was going towards. It might not be my favorite manga, but I can appreciate what he's doing with it. Mm-hmm. Which does sound like damning with faint praise, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he sort of reminds me of um, the author of Emma, sort of in the amount of research that he likes, that he did rather about that particular period. Um, and then you combine that with his art, which is like really, really detailed, whether it's gory or whether it's just like a village scene or whatever. So you combine like what look what comes across as extensive research with um, the detailed art, and it it really makes. Um, for a nice-looking series in general. so Yeah, especially since Finland Saga, it doesn't just have the really fancy battle scenes. It also has a lot of very mundane scenes where you see what a typical British village around the year 1000 would look like. Stuff like that. Some very non-flashy set pieces that still would have needed to be researched for him to draw them and figure out how they were going to fit into the story. Yeah. I mean, there is that large amount of time in the flashback where they're just in their village with Thor as a Thorfinn as a kid. Uh, Thorfinn looking up at war as this thing to behold, and Thor's knowing the uh, the harsh realities of it. I'm looking at the chapter list right now, volume 18. Uh, it's the third chapter is Baltic Sea War 1, and uh, that has not ended yet. We're at Baltic Sea War 17. <laughs> Oh no. So, uh, <laughs> maybe the ending is coming sooner than we anticipated. Just when Thor thought he was out, the war just brings him back in. <laughs> as well, long I think as it's he's not on a boat, it will end at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it just really ends while he's on a boat? You know, what if he just dies in this Baltic Sea War? <laughs> Thorfinn and dies as his father did on the boat. Oh no. <laughs> So do you guys think it's time for final thoughts on Vinland Saga? I believe so. Uh, any final thoughts, y'all? It's mm. gory, but it's not all gory. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just my dominating thought when I spent yeah. six months reading it. <laughs> no, it's gory. That's 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 uh, that's probably my dominating thought too. Is it's gory, but it's good. I mean, I don't uh, I don't want to make it sound like that's all it is. Just a really gory series. There's uh, there's a uh, there's a point to it. I think there's an overarching plot, a theme, etc. So it's not just complete gore. Uh, yeah, that would have to be uh, my final thought there. Yes, yeah, so there is a, an angle to this gore, and uh, as we've said, uh, there is a point to having all this gore in it. Um, and there is gore, more like with Knut and 
Dorfin's battles with Ascalade aren't exactly gore-filled, but uh, the arc is very beautiful and it's very easy to follow, like the fight scenes, and there's multiple, multiple mm-hmm. fight scenes, uh, given Yukimura's masterful arc. Yeah, and I think this is even a monthly series now, which means that he's got even more time to work on yard and just do some really nice detailing and shading work, so... Yeah. You're getting a lot out of those Kodansha volumes, not just because they're two volumes, but because they're two volumes of good story, good art, and mm-hmm. if you're in the mood for a serious Viking story, this is right up your alley. Go for it. Mm-hmm. It went from weekly to monthly, somewhere in the middle of volume two or three, I believe, and you can really tell the difference in the art when it does. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's let's close this thing out. Um, where can we find you all on the internet, April? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Mangio Ren. You can find me there. Um, I do some editing stuff uh, for the Organization of Anti-Social Geniuses, so you can find me there. Oh, boy, it's too many places. <laughs> uh, I am also a writer at the Organization of Anti-Social Geniuses. I'm the co-host of the podcast. It's not my fault. The OASG podcast is not popular. Um, and I am also on Twitter at Wandering Dreamer. And I am slowly reviving my own blog, Narrative Investigations. I've had three posts up in the past three weeks, so I think I'm doing okay. All right. Well, I recently wrote about the fact why I'm not sure why we have an eccentric family, too. So. Hot takes. Always hot takes. I'm on Twitter, AgapassionMcKay. This podcast is on Twitter, AgManga, in your ears. I have another podcast that covers sports anime and movies, X Taiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U, and that is also where you can find episodes of this podcast at taikupodcast.com. Uh, thank you for, you for continuing to podcast with me, I guess. Oh, and if anyone wants, I have photos that are that includes a selfie of the three of us at Otakon on my Twitter feed, just so you know in case they want proof that we're actual people. <laughs> that we're not robots running a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a photo of uh, the OSG crew as well. That's true, too. That's true, also. We're still real people leaving there, too. Yeah. Real antisocial geniuses. <laughs> All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye, you guys. <laughs>